So Carol, uh, I, I didn't actually warn you about this, but come on up. So you've chosen a passage to speak on from Luke 22. Yeah. Do you want to just, any, why did you choose that passage? Oh, right. Just, okay. um, to be honest, I just, it was one that just sort of pulled at the heartstrings a bit more than mm-hmm. some of the others. Right, right, right. Um, and I thought, oh, I'd like to take a look back at that. Okay. And um, it I very quickly found something that stirred my heart. Yeah. So I thought, yeah. okay, Lord, yeah. if this is what yeah. you want me to bring, I'll do right. that and yeah. see what happens. Hopefully okay, it will stay yours great. too. Great. Well, let me just pray for you as you start. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for Carol's gifts, Lord, that she's brought to our church in the last couple of years. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly through her, Lord. Give her that boldness, Lord, of your anointing spirit, Father. And uh, thank you that you're used to in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that was a good sound check anyway, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> Give me up okay. Um, before I start proper, actually, I just wanted to um, say to Chris, really, that last week's sermon was a very timely word for me, a good reminder. Uh, Chris spoke on a church called To Reconcile. And I made a few jokes after the service that I hadn't really been here long enough to fall out with anyone, so it wasn't my problem. Um, However, (laughs) within a couple of hours, I'm like, why are they doing that? What's that for? Um, On two separate things within a couple of hours on on the Sunday. So... I am taking your words into, and I am trying to be tender-hearted and thick-skinned. And if it's something I really can't live with, then I will gently approach the people involved. But it just made me laugh after my joking about it all. So, God has a sense of humor. And today, I want to take a quick look at uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 20. Try not to look down because that'll make me louder. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So as Chris has already said, we had um, an invitation to revisit some of our tour contributions, um, but only for 10 to 12 minutes. So this is a quick dip back in. And I wanted to look again at the Passover, which has become our Lord's Supper or Communion. So I've taken um, this short video from, uh, it's from a Jewish website, and it explains it far more eloquently than I could, if you wouldn't mind rolling that. The story of the Exodus is a classic. 
Moses, Pharaoh, blood, frogs, hail, the splitting of the sea, and the liberation of an enslaved nation from their oppressors. This is what we celebrate during the springtime holiday of Passover, also called Pesach. After some extreme house cleaning, we sit down to eat matzah, bitter herbs, drink four cups of wine, ask four questions, tell lots of stories, and eat haroset made out of apples and nuts. But when we get down to it all, what really is Passover? And why do we celebrate it? At the heart of Passover is the Seder, the 15-step meal we share. And at the heart of the Seder is the Haggadah, the guidebook to the Seder. In the beginning, our fathers served idols, the Haggadah tells us. Not a very impressive start, but now God brought us close to serve him. It's a long story how we got down to Egypt, but let's just say some rainbow coats and sibling rivalries were involved. The Jewish people, all 70 of them, descended down to Egypt. And there they stayed as shepherds, and then as slaves. And they had kids, like lots of kids. Pharaoh didn't take kindly to this. The Egyptians treated us badly. They made the Jews work hard with bricks and mud. They threw the Jewish baby boys into the Nile. But one baby boy named Moses was miraculously saved and even raised in Pharaoh's home. After some wild adventures involving escaping from Egypt, marriage, and a burning bush, Moses was instructed by God to take the people out of Egypt. Pharaoh refused, and so came the ten plagues. The last plague was the worst of them all, the death of the firstborn. But before that happened, God commanded the Jews to offer a lamb or goat, which the Egyptians worshipped as one of their gods, and smear its blood on the doorposts and lintel of their home. Seeing the blood and the brave devotion it signified, God slew the firstborn Egyptians, passing over the homes of the Jews. That's where the word Passover comes from. That night, the Jews enjoyed a feast of roast lamb, matzah, and bitter herbs. Seeing the death of so many of his people, stubborn Pharaoh finally agreed to let the people go. The next morning, millions of Jewish people proudly marched out of Egypt. They brought dough with them for bread, but due to the haste of the exodus, it didn't rise. Baking is, you guessed it, matzah. Pharaoh changed his mind and chased after them, catching up by the banks of the Red Sea. Fueled by faith, the Jews marched right into the sea, which miraculously split. As soon as they passed, the waters crashed down on the Egyptians. Free at last, the Jews went to Mount Sinai, where God gave them the Torah, making them his special people. Every year since then, Jews commemorate all these great and mighty acts by ridding their homes of chametz, all leavened items, bread, pasta, beer, and other yeasty and grainy products, even bagels. And we sell whatever chametz is left with the help of a local rabbi or online. Searching the house before Passover, we make sure that not a crumb remains, burning the last pieces. For the next week, we'll be chametz free. At the Seder, the first night of Passover in Israel, the first two nights everywhere else, we relive the exodus from Egypt. After lighting festive candles and setting the table with special items we use that night, we eat matzah, especially a round handmade shmura matzah. We drink four cups of wine or grape juice, eat bitter herbs, and enjoy a festive meal, and have some more matzah, the afikomen, as dessert. We sing praises to God and do everything we can to encourage the kids to take part in the experience. All of this, the special foods, the kids asking the four questions, the talking and singing, help us relive the miracles God did in the past. And now, 
in every generation, we're obligated to view ourselves as if we went out of Egypt. You see, the Exodus isn't just some event that happened thousands of years ago, or even just an annual commemoration on Passover. It's something we're meant to experience throughout the year and every day of our lives. The Hasidic masters explain that the Hebrew word for Egypt, Mitzrayim, means boundaries and limitations. We each have our own limitations, fears, comfort zones, and character traits. The secret of Passover is that the Jewish soul can be taken out of Mitzrayim and experience a personal exodus from our inner Egypt, breaking through all those limitations and passing over all boundaries. We can grow as Jews every single day. We can be a little more free than the day before. I thought the end of that was particularly interesting <clears throat> with the current application. And two things struck me. Passover is a feast, it's a celebration, and it represents freedom. And Passover was the meal that Jesus was observing with his disciples when he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes I think our symbolism doesn't do justice to the enormity of what God has done for us. Our little piece of bread and our tiny sip of wine. Imagine drinking at least four cups of wine and a 15-course feast in commemoration. That would make for long Sunday services, I think. I don't know what you would like your epitaph to be, how you'd like to be remembered when you die. But Jesus, knowing he was about to face death, instigated a meal a feast, a celebration. He was, of course, identifying with the Passover sacrifice, that lamb or goat that was killed and the blood was smeared round the, um, the doorposts of the Israelites. He was identifying with that. And that blood marked their safety and release from bondage in Egypt. And we too are safe from eternal death and released from the bondage of sin by the blood that Jesus shed. And our emblem is bread and wine, something that is life-sustaining and enriching. It's a celebration, just like Passover, a celebration of freedom. Just dipping back into Luke 22, verse 16, Jesus says, For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And in verse 18, For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the... Oh, no, I've repeated that. I? Sorry, verse 16 is... For I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then 18. 
I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see, knowing what we know, how much do we have to celebrate? All is fulfilled. No other sacrifice is needed. There is nothing we can bring to God. He has done it all for us through Jesus. The kingdom of God has come. And hour by hour, we can know freedom. We can know the love and forgiveness of God. All is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. To slightly misquote the video, the not-so-secret truth is that the follower of Jesus can be taken out of Misraim, Israel, the boundaries, and experience a personal exodus from our inner Egypt, breaking through limitations and passing over all boundaries. Because of Jesus, we can grow as children of God. Every single day, we can be a little more free than the day before. Let's pray. To him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And we'll uh, pick up some of those themes that Carol gave us later in our prayers. But Phil, could you come and join us too? So, um, Phil, you've, uh, you've gone for an epistle, uh, mm-hmm. Paul's second letter to Timothy. Mm-hmm. And uh, any, what drew your attention to that? Well, my first thought was, what's, what's going to be easiest? Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> if I'm honest. So, two chronicles. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then the, the wording was really interesting because what Jonathan actually said was, yeah. could he share something that was um, either encouraging yeah. or challenging? Ooh. And um, I don't know what other people have found yeah. when they, they read the tour, but almost without exception, yeah. I found every single reading both, both encouraging and yeah, challenging. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and as I flicked through uh, the readings that I'd prepared and which one to focus on, I just felt myself more and more drawn to this okay. passage, which I found really encouraging Good. and challenging. Well, we look forward to that. Let, let's pray for you first. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for Phil and for Sonia, Lord, and uh, the intrinsic part they play in the life of this church, Lord, in, uh, in pastoral care, in worship, uh, and in just being friends for so many people. Lord, uh, we just pray now for Phil, Lord, as he uh, brings this word, Lord, that you've given him, this word of uh, encouragement, of challenge, Lord. And we pray for Phil. Calm his heart, Lord. Give him that boldness, Lord, which comes with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And prepare his, his heart and his mind, Lord. Uh, at the same time, help us, Lord, to have open hearts and listening ears. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks, Chris. Okay, let's just uh, turn to our, our reading. Um, Lydia was going to read this to me, uh, to us, but she's in Sunday school, so I, uh, I said I'd, I'd read it. We'll probably just read the first five verses, actually. There's quite a lot in this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Okay, so, um, so yeah, this letter um, opens with, with a greeting. Um, if we could have the PowerPoint, if we've got it, please. Um, and it was, uh, it was the custom in those days, rather than to sign the name at the end of the letter, they always began the, um, the letter uh, with the name Paul, an apostle of Christ. I must have read this passage lots and lots of times, and that's the way quite often, isn't it, um, when we read passages. And it's amazing how often we can completely skip over something, or we just completely miss something that we didn't read before. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, by the will of God. What does that even mean? The fact that Paul was an apostle, that, that was no accident. It wasn't a simple choice. He didn't get up one day and decide to be an apostle. It was the will of God. It was, his, it was his calling. And we all have a calling, don't we? Every single one of us has a calling. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if we live like we believe that we have a calling. But we, we certainly do. Um, not everything in life is complex, is it? A lot of the time we have a lot of freedom to just walk through life, make our own decisions, um, and God trusts us to get on with things. You know, something as simple as what we wear each day, it's not really a big deal, is it? Um, I've made a, made a bit of an effort today, but um, most of the time, you know, I don't, I don't get up early and spend 20 minutes in prayer before I choose what I wear. And um, you see what I wear most of the time, you're probably thinking, yeah, we can, we can see that, Phil, maybe you should spend a bit, a bit longer uh, in prayer. Um, but you get my point, some things in life are not important, are they? But other things in life, they really are important, our calling and the direction that our lives take and what God wants us to do. And um, I don't believe that the word calling just refers to kind of important jobs. I was called to be a doctor or I was called to be a church pastor or I was called to be a missionary. I believe every single one of us has a calling. 
And um, it's not just what we do for a job either. What we do in church can be our calling. Um, Some of us may not have paid employment. What we do every single day, who we interact with, that can all be part of our calling. Just listen to what um, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Nobody can fulfill my calling quite like I can. And nobody can fulfill your calling quite like you can. And when we don't fulfill our calling, we're all poorer for it. And um, I want to encourage those of us who say, I don't know what my calling is. I've absolutely no idea what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes it's not clear, is it? It can either take a long time. And actually, I'm not sure that God always tells us in advance what our calling is. Sometimes these things unravel and, um, and develop. It's often recommended nowadays, isn't it, that for people who really want to get on in the career, they should have a five-year plan. Year one, I'm going to finish this. Year two, this, this, this. And that's great. That, that, that works for some people. But I know people who have never had a career plan. They leave education, they end up in a job, they just do the very best they can where they are, and step by step, God shows them the way. And um, all I can say is, if, if you struggle, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this my calling? All we can do is just throw ourselves wholeheartedly into it. Let's serve the Lord with all our hearts as though working for him. The importance of calling. The importance of mentoring. T. Timothy, my dear son. So when I asked Lydia if she'd do the reading, she practiced this yesterday, and she said, why does Paul call Timothy my dear son, which is a good question, isn't it? Because we know that Timothy isn't Paul's son. So why does he do that? So there's a few theories. Some commentators say, well, it may be because Paul led Timothy to Christ, and there's that kind of relationship there. But I think, you know, a more common sense approach is that it was a term of endearment. Uh, Paul was really fond of Timothy, and he genuinely cared for him. And this is a a vital part of mentorship, isn't it? What does it really mean to be a mentor? Because it's got to be more than just telling somebody what to do or just downloading our experience on someone. We have to really want to see that person flourish and care for them as a person and grow in their relationship with God, not just what they, they achieve in life. Caring about the person, not just what they do. I wonder if there's an opportunity for us to mentor someone that we're not taking advantage of. Who do we really care about that we want to see flourish? We'll come back to that. The importance of mentoring. The importance of prayer. Verse 3 says, I thank God as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Really brief sentence, but it tells us so much 
about how Paul interacted with Timothy. Um, I chose this picture to illustrate prayer. You may think a bit of a bit of a strange picture to an engine room to illustrate prayer. I, um, I typed into the internet prayer, hit images, and you get lots and lots of, of beautiful pictures of beautiful people with their eyes closed, hands together, and a sunset in the background. And, um, and prayer can be that, can't it? It can be a beautiful and wonderful experience between us and God. But um, sometimes, let's be honest, it's, it can just be hard work. Um, those of us that have responded to Ian Christensen's challenge of trying to spend an hour a day in prayer, some of us have shared um, how hard that is and what a challenge it is. And we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Lots of things in life that are worthwhile are really hard. But I've heard prayer referred to as the engine room of the kingdom, the engine room of the kingdom, where the power comes from for things to really happen. What was it that Ian reminded us of? Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Who do we want to see do well? I thank God for you. As night and day, I remember you in my prayers. You know what? No wonder Timothy became a pillar of the church. No wonder he became um, a figure of discipleship and a model to be held up to. He had had Paul as his mentor. How cool would that be to have the Apostle Paul as your mentor? It must have been great. But actually, I don't think it's just because Paul was such a good mentor that Timothy did well. I think it's because Paul prayed to a great God. I find that really encouraging. We we can't be the Apostle Paul, can we? We can only be ourselves, but we can pray to the same God that Paul prayed for. If we want to mentor someone, to support them and development, We've got the chance to pray to the same God as Paul did. We all have a massive opportunity to make a massive difference in someone's life just by praying for them. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. The importance of fellowship. Um, if you can't quite make out that picture, that's, uh, that's people's legs outstretched with toes uh, touching. We, touched the, we uh, took this picture just as we were coming out of um, one of the lockdowns, and it was just as some of the, um, the restrictions were starting to ease, and it was, a, it was a real joy to be able to meet with people physically, quite, um, quite um, a thing after, after all that time. So in verse 4, um, Paul says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. We don't know exactly what uh, the tears referred to. Uh, probably best guess, it was probably tears when Timothy and Paul parted because they didn't know when they were going to see each other again for a long time. There was a really strong connection between Paul and Timothy that experienced the good, that experienced uh, the bad. And I don't know how you find it, but when it comes to fellowship... When it comes to really deep connections and friendships, quite often it's those people that have been through the good and the bad with us and they're stuck with us 
through thick and thin. And um, yeah, this, this kind of verse reminds us of the deep connection that Paul and Timothy had. But it also reminds us of something else. The joy of meeting in, in person. The joy of meeting in person. The, um, the pandemic's really taken its toll, hasn't it? You know, some people have suffered loss and um, some people have suffered terrible health issues. But um, beyond the health issues, I think the people that have really suffered most are the people who have been most isolated. Isolation can be a terrible thing. And the world is changing, isn't it? Uh, Much more work is from home. Uh, Things are becoming virtual, more and more online. And, And some of that's great. Uh, The church itself has benefited to some degree from the technology that we've used uh, throughout COVID. But let's not kid ourselves. We should never underestimate the importance of meeting in person. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I know we all have our issues and we all have to um, decide what's right for us. But there's something about meeting in person, a general principle. There's nothing else quite like it for encouragement. If we can get to church to encourage others and be encouraged, that's great. If we can stay plugged in to a small group to encourage others and be encouraged, great. If we can meet people, Christian friends, on a one-to-one to encourage and be encouraged, great. But whatever church has to look like for us at the moment, let's not forget the importance of fellowship. One final thing, the importance of family. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So this verse is talking about passing it on, passing on the faith. So who does this apply to? Does it just apply to people who were Fortunate enough to have godly parents, godly relationships in the life that inspired them. I think so, but not just that. Um, Is it applicable to people who have children? Yeah, I think so, but not just that. So who then? Who does it really speak to? I think this passage speaks to anyone who has a faith and a desire to pass it on. A desire to pass it on. It's a real blessing when we have godly relatives. And we should give thanks and be thankful. But having Christian family role models means nothing unless we follow in their footsteps and run the race for ourselves. No one else can do that for us. And maybe for someone here who didn't have that privilege of having uh, Christian role models, why don't we choose to be the first link in that chain, the privilege of passing on the beauty of the gospel. It's a privilege to have a mentor, but what a privilege to be a mentor, to invest in someone and know that we played a part, no matter how small, in them becoming a man or a woman of God. The importance of mentorship. And please don't think that this is only for the the older generation. Everybody who has a real faith in Jesus has something of value that they can pass on to others. 
Who can we adopt into our family of mentorship? The importance of calling, the importance of mentoring, the importance of prayer, the importance of fellowship, and the importance of family. I'm just going to leave that slide up, but let's just uh, pray uh, as I draw to close. Lord, we just thank you for all the good things that you give to us, uh, all the blessings. And Lord, we pray that you would make us diligent and seek opportunities as we look to pass that on. Lord, we pray um, that we would know our calling, and, and even if we don't, that we would serve faithfully to glorify your name. Lord, we pray that we would look for opportunities to mentor people, that we can encourage and help people along the way. And Lord, for the importance of prayer, Lord, we want to be powerful people. We want to have a powerful prayer life. Lord, just help us as we pledge to be disciplined and spend time meeting with you and supporting others in prayer. Lord, the importance of fellowship. Help us to meet others whenever we can, if per, in person, if possible. But I pray we wouldn't go, grow cold. Lord, just help us to remember the importance of meeting uh, with brothers and sisters. And the importance of family, Lord. Who can we adopt um, and take under our wing? Just help us to serve you in each of these things, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen. And um, so let's just come and for a few minutes just reflect on some of those things. We uh, haven't got the prayers that we intended today due to um, someone testing COVID positive. But what we can do is reflect on those passages. And then I'll also have uh, a brief time of open prayer. If you want to bring a prayer yourself, please, please use that time. So let's pray together. <coughs> and first of all, just um, thinking back to uh, the Exodus uh, and the Passover meal, and it's not just um, something that happened uh, 3,000 years ago, um, 3,500 years ago. It's actually part of our story. It's part of your story and my story, your inherited faith, your family and mine. So, Heavenly Father, we easily forget our roots. Um, thank you for reminding, of, uh, reminding us today uh, of how deep they go. Thank you, Lord, for our inherited faith, Lord, for both Carol and Phil in different ways showing us the way that we inherit faith from thousands of years and from parents and from older folks around us. Thank you for all those who've gone before us for the richness of this faith, Lord, the richness of that Passover meal, um, <clears throat> for the traditions, Lord, that we hold dear. Most of all, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that in that simple act of bread and wine, we can recall body and blood, your body and your blood given for us. Help us, Father, to just stop sometimes and remember, and remember to celebrate that we are part of your kingdom, a royal family, a royal priesthood brought together in your body. <clears throat> Help us to be bringers of this kingdom into our streets, our offices, and our schools. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>
And then the verse from Ephesians. So we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What an amazing thought, Lord, that um, you've prepared in advance things for us to do in this world. So we ask you, Lord, what what is it, Lord, that you call us to now in our lives, every one of us? Perhaps we just think for a few seconds, what are you called to? What is God calling you to? Or are we just drifting through life, being um, entertained, sometimes being uh, annoyed, sometimes just getting on with things? We all have a calling, as Phil reminded us. And Phil also reminded us again, thank you for the faith faith of those who've gone before us and the responsibility, our responsibility to those who come after, whether they are our children or, or other people in this church, perhaps those, Lord, outside this church and our families. Help us to remember our responsibility, Lord. Who could that be to? Who do you have a responsibility to, to pass on the faith? <clears throat> Help us, Lord, in this, in this difficult task. Sometimes it's really hard to pass on faith. I think especially in families. So we don't want to beat ourselves up, Lord, but we want to be intelligent and loving and caring bringers of gospel, Lord, into those places, into those people's lives that you show us. And then help us too, Lord, uh, as Phil reminded us, to get back what what the years have stolen from us, especially, especially these last two years, in terms of gathering and praying the writer to Hebrews says, don't, don't give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing, but let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing, but let us un- encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So Lord, we do pray, Lord, help us, Father, to be people who gather when we can and as we can. And help us not to um, forget to pray, Lord, to pray alone, but to pray together, Lord, too. And then let's just turn to a a few minutes of open prayer. Uh, If you want to bring a prayer, please do. Uh, Just pray first, Lord, for Jonathan today and uh, Bramwell Baptist Church and for their uh, very lengthy process of looking for a new minister. And uh, we don't know if the person today is the right person or not, Lord, but we pray you would make that ever so clear to them today. Amen.